Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing our journey through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is uh, actually, while you're turning to Matthew 5, if you would, also find Matthew 19 and put your finger there as well. We'll be reading both those verses. Now, this text is one of those that, uh, that really, I, I think, man, verse by verse through the Scriptures. Man, there's some trouble that comes along when you're doing that. Because you come to some controversial topics and you would really like, as a pastor, just to kind of skim by it and, uh, and just kind of ignore it and, and, and put it to the side. And yet, if we are to be, as pastors, to be faithful to the Scriptures, we know that we need to look at every verse as it comes. Because it's all good and it's all needed. And I think in our day and time, these verses are especially needed. Uh, when it comes to, to marriage. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now flip over to Matthew 19. And what we have is essentially the same thoughts just unpacked a little more. And, and Pharisees came up to him, uh, uh, chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. I need some help this morning, so I'm going to pray just a little more. Dearly Father, God, as we cover this subject, God, help, help the people in, our, in this congregation, those that man, may be thinking about divorce and, and those who have been through divorce. God, help us just to come to Your Word and to accept Your Word but also to accept grace for those who have failed. And God, just move in us. Teach us exactly what we are to know this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the difficulty, one of the difficulties is threading the needle this morning because there's some of you, man, divorce is on the table. Your marriage is hard. And every day you think about divorce. And I want to preach this text in such a way this morning that you see the ugliness of divorce. You see that it is not God's desire for your marriage. But on the same time, there are people in this congregation who have been divorced. Uh, for various reasons, you've been 
divorced. And so I want you to walk away from here realizing that there is grace and that you're not just some second-rate Christian the rest of your life because of the mistake that you've made. I want to thread that needle where we see the ugliness of divorce and we also see the beauty of God's grace. And there are great difficulties of interpretation in the verses of the Scriptures that talk about divorce and remarriage. Um, one example, John MacArthur. If you know anything about John MacArthur, John MacArthur is a man that the man will hold that word up and say, we have all we need right here in the Word of God. But at a conference, there was a question and answer time, and, and a, a man stood up and said, hey, Brother MacArthur, I know your view on the Scriptures. I know you would say, we need nothing more than this. But if you could have just a little more revelation on a subject, what would it be? And John MacArthur, without any hesitation whatsoever, said, divorce and remarriage. Divorce and remarriage. Pastors find themselves in, in, at times in a difficult situation because we are called to take part in marriage ceremonies, and so... Uh, we really have to come down and figure out where do we stand because we never want to stand and, and conduct a ceremony that we think is dishonoring to God. But at the same time, we love people and we, we don't want to turn them away, but, but we, we, we struggle with that. We, we, uh, we have a difficult uh, thing in that way. There are several views, to me, in, in, when you look at biblical views on divorce and, and, and remarriage. One view is permanence, and this is no divorce and no remarriage under any circumstances. Uh, there are men that I highly respect that hold that view. John Piper uh, would be one. If you want to learn more about that view, you could read his book, Momentary Marriage. Uh, Vody Bacham has that view. There are, there are great men that hold that view. Um, there is semi-permanence. Uh, there's, you can be divorced, but there is no remarriage. And then you have the permissive view. It allows for divorce and remarriage in certain circumstances. And that is the view that I will be speaking from this morning. And I hate the name of it, permissive view, because I don't ever want to be considered permissive, uh, a permissive person when it comes to divorce. But yet, I feel that there are biblical grounds given in Scripture, and I'll speak to those, but there is variance. Be, be, uh, be understanding with pastors that are simply living out their conscience in, in, in the way that they view divorce and remarriage. We have variance on our staff. If you don't like my view this morning, you can talk to the other pastors and gain some understanding of some other views. And, and, uh, and I have friends on every side. But pastors must be act, act according to their conscience and what they believe the Scriptures teach. And so uh, I will be preaching from, from my view of, of what the Bible says this morning. I can do no other. The first thing I want us to notice, and I think it's the most important thing, is God's ideal for marriage. Okay, when the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, hey, can we really uh, be, be divorced for any reason? Jesus doesn't go back to Moses. He goes way, way beyond Moses. He goes back to the beginning. 
Verse 4, in, in, this is verse nine, uh, chapter 19. He, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus' answer to their question zips all the way back to Genesis 2, 24. It goes all the way back, not just before the law, it goes back before sin. Genesis 2, 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the ideal. This is what God calls every person to the ideal this is what he wants to pursue with you to pursue in marriage with all of your heart the first thing we see that uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife in our in our day and time i want you to understand something marriage is between a man and a woman and no amount of men in robes or governments can redefine it it goes back to the very beginning. God defined it, and after that, there is no redefinitions of this institution. And next, we see that a man is to hold fast. He is to cleave. This is the discipline of marriage. If, if you were to jump in my big bad Dodge minivan, and I were to say to you, Hold on. What would that tell you? That would tell you that we're fixing to get crazy. We're fixing to make some crazy turns. It's going to get wild, so you need to hold on. And so at the onset, God says, you in your marriage are going to have to hold on. Let's be honest, no one steps up to the altar with full knowledge of the crazy that their spouse is capable to bringing into your life. We don't. We come together with a naive puppy love that, that has no clue of what's ahead. And what it's going to cost to go the distance of a lifetime commitment to this other person. And the world's attitude is, I'll try it out. If the puppy love goes away, if, if, uh, if my spouse changes a lot, if they put on a lot of weight, I can always just cast them aside and find someone else. But this is not God's ideal. I mean, this, this, the ideal, the, the way the, the world is handling marriage in our day, it, it makes me want to jump to the permanence position. It makes me want to say no under no circumstances as a response to how flippant the world is with its marriage vows, with the marriage covenant. The promise we make at the beginning, it telegraphs that sometimes it will only be that promise that holds you together. We hold fast no matter 
What gets exposed when the dating persona of our spouse begins to go away? No matter the changes that the years bring, we will hold fast. And that is God's ideal. But it's not just pure discipline of holding fast. It's also oneness. It talks about here about becoming one flesh and and there's joy in that. That there should be joy in your marriage. It shouldn't always be just sheer discipline. It should also be the great joy of having someone that you are one with. God gives us another person to become one with in every way. I mean, just the intimacy, the physical act that, 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 that comes about when we're married is even a symbol of that of that oneness. We come together as one in every way and any separation from that, one, that oneness is a detriment to the glory of God in your own heart to rip that oneness apart. The sentence in Genesis 2.24 is God's ideal. It is God's intent for marriage to ever go against that ideal is to tread on dangerous ground. If your marriage is struggling this morning, don't search the Scriptures for some allowance of divorce. Some escape hatch. Don't do that. Go to the original intent of marriage and hold fast and be one with your spouse. And don't let go. Hold fast to the one that God's given you. It wasn't a mistake. But yet, divorce exists. And we see in this text that divorce exists because of hard hearts. Because of your hardness of heart, Jesus says in, in chapter 19, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Divorce was initially allowed because of sin. Here was the situation. The men of Israel were just casting their wives aside. That, I don't like the way you look anymore. You burnt that casserole. You're out of my house. With no documentation, nothing. And, just, and so these women were cast out into society and no one knew, did they commit some great sin against their husband? Uh, some sexual sin? Or did they burn the casserole? And so you might have a woman that's wandering around society and, and she's just cast aside or she's maybe even stoned because they believe that she committed some act of adultery. And so Moses formed in, his, in the law of Moses given by God. God made an allowance for divorce in certain situations but said, but you have to write a certificate. You, you can't just cast your wife aside, you have to write a certificate so everyone will know why you are divorcing your wife. It was, in many ways, a protection for the women. And so we fast forward to the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day, and Jesus says that the Pharisees had misinterpreted the law concerning divorce. There were two schools of thought of uh, two rabbis uh, and their schools of thought concerning divorce. There was Shammai. 
And Shammai took a rigorous ap- approach to Deuteronomy 24.1. He said, this, this indecency that's mentioned here, it, it's big. It's something huge, and you cannot be divorced unless that huge sexual sin takes place. You can't divorce your spouse. But then there were others uh, in the school of Hillel that taught the opposite, that whatever your husband found as indecent, he could cast you aside. Burn the casserole? That's indecent. You're out of here. I don't like your cooking. I, didn't, I thought you were going to cook like your mom. You're not cooking like your mom. You're out of here. And so for any reason whatsoever, and that's, that's why they frame the question 19, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Because it had gotten so out of hand that you could literally divorce your wife for any reason. Isn't it that funny? Isn't that funny how the Pharisees are working here? How they work the law? Like we've looked the last couple of weeks, they were real restrictive, right, with the command not to murder, saying, if you haven't murdered, then man, you're keeping the law. But right here, what are they doing? They're taking the law where it says indecent, and man, they're making it so broad that it includes anything they want, right? That's why the law... That's why the law falls short, just the law, because men will take that law, and when they need to, they'll restrict it. And when they need to, they'll broaden it. And that's what was going on here. And Jesus, again, tells them that every divorce abandons God's ideal. That Jesus goes back to, again, to the ideal. Guys, go look at the ideal. Don't look at what was allowed or what is allowed because of sin. Go back and see that God wants you to hold fast. He wants you to be one. No divorce has ever happened outside of one or two hard hearts causing that divorce. Let me say before we move any any farther... That if your marriage is struggling right now, God is not calling you to look for loopholes in the Scripture. He's calling you to the ideal. He's calling you to hold fast. He's calling you to oneness. And yet, the Bible teaches that there are biblical grounds for divorce. So what are the exceptions? Well, the biblical grounds for the divorce, Jesus gives one exception here. Sexual adultery. On the ground of sexual immorality, and this is mentioned in both these verses, in, 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 in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19. Now Mark and Luke actually in this teaching omit this clause doesn't say anything about adultery and uh, most people believe that it was just kind of assumed because under mosaic law what was the penalty for adultery it was death it was death by stoning so there never was an issue of of uh of what can you be divorced no you were automatically separated from your spouse who committed adultery because they died and so it would have been no, a no-brainer that 
divorce is something that destroys a marriage. But, I want you to notice something here. And this is very important. That Jesus does not command divorce in the case of sexual sin. He permits it. He doesn't command it. He permits it. And I want you to know something, that God is a God of redemption. He's a God of forgiveness and grace. And so what you've got to do is if you find yourself in a situation where your spouse has committed adultery, you really need to look at how they respond. Are they saying, you know, I just love this other person. And I don't care what you say. I don't care what the church says. I want this other person. There's that's different from someone saying, I can't believe I did this. I'm repenting to you. I'm repenting before the church. I'm repenting from God. We're going to work this out. Please, please give me another chance. God is a God, I think, that always wants us to take the path that is most glorifying to Him. And I think in a situation where where sin has come into a marriage like that, if the other spouse is repentant to give an opportunity for God to do amazing things, the church is full of couples that have endured that horrible sin and have stayed together and now are a a picture of, of God's grace. God's a God of redemption and we need to allow Him at times room to work and not just take the first escape hatch we have because a sin has been committed. So the next question is, is that the only exception where divorce is permitted? And and my answer would be, I don't believe it is because I believe Paul's instruction in the early church gives us a case of abandonment by an unbeliever. In 1 Corinthians 7, there's instruction given to those women who find themselves married to unconverted husbands. I mean, this is the early church. There's there's lots of people being converted. And and so the instruction here is what happens when someone finds themselves married to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. And the instruction is you stay with them. You love them. You show them the love of Christ. You be the best Christian husband or wife you can be because it could be, it could very well be, it's happened countless times that a God-loving, God-fearing, Jesus-pursuing spouse can awaken the heart of an unbelieving spouse and they could come to know Jesus. And of course, with the kids in the household, it's very important for them to have that Christian influence as well. But yet in verse 15, it says this, But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so in such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved 
God has called you to peace. So it appears for me to take this, this verse as its just clear meaning is that if an unbeliever abandons the, the marriage, then the believer is free from the marriage. It seems to me this would also be true of someone who initially claims to be a believer, comes in the marriage claiming they're a believer, but through an action of walking out on their family, refusing to listen to any Christian's brothers or sisters, and casting those people aside, saying, I'm going to do what I want to do, if it's revealed in that moment that they don't know Jesus, then I think the same rules apply. But in this case, the offended party needs to be patient to allow the church to do its part before the issue can be resolved. Don't just say, okay, they're gone. Let me go file the papers. You give an opportunity for the church to to do its work in church discipline. Yeah, church discipline. It's vital. It's vital to the church to be involved in resolving marriage, marriage issues within the church. Without church discipline, there can be no consistent elevation of the sanctity of marriage. If we as a church are willing to look the other way as marriages disintegrates, we have no moral authority to speak to the world of how they're cheapening marriage. I get so sick and tired of couples coming to my counseling office, not from this church, but from other churches, and their marriage is on the brink. One of them wants divorce, or maybe they both want a divorce and I say, what has your church done about it? And they say, they said they couldn't take sides. They said they couldn't be involved. Good grief, I want to punch the wall when I hear that. It has been so harmful to those in their marriages that are fighting for their marriage. They don't want the divorce. They want to be obedient to God. They want to save their marriage. The church just stands on the stinking sidelines. Makes them stand alone in the fight for their marriage. And if their marriage does fail, somehow lets them just be in a, on an equal footing of the other spouse that burned the marriage to the ground. Good grief. I'm, I'm, I feel heavily about this. I want to say this. Shame on the church who speaks of the sanctity of marriage and refuses to lift one finger when a marriage is on the brink of destruction. Shame on the church. Shame on the church for talking about what the homosexuals are doing to marriage when we just look the other way when Christians get divorced. Aim on us. And the church needs to be involved because every situation is different. You know, every time I think I've heard every scenario, something new comes. And so, 
I believe that's why God gave the church pastors and, and elders to look into these situations, to take the Scriptures and, and really think about it, to talk to the two people involved, to, to really feel what's, to figure out what's going on there. I think that's why we at Wyatt need to eventually get to the point where it's not just the three paid pastor and elders, but there's a group of pastor and elders, both paid and non-paid, that can look into these situations. Godly biblical men that will, will take these situations and apply them to the Scripture. And I do want to say, when it comes to abuse, when it comes to physical abuse or, or, or abuse that, that makes a spouse feel endangered, Listen, if, if, if walking out is abandoning a marriage, then surely hitting your spouse and beating your spouse and making your spouse feel unsafe in their own home is a very serious offense that the church needs to be involved in. There needs to be a separation for a time for that person more likely needing to come to Christ. If they would so much abandon their responsibility as a man to love their spouse like Christ loved the church and then to somehow strike that spouse? Please. And I would also not necessarily uh, an allowance for divorce, but I think we do need to think of pre-conversion divorces different than, than we do. Those who come through that after they're saved. What I mean by that is I mean, if you're if you're converted, you've been through a diverse way. All things are new. You're a new creation. That that disobedience to God happened when you didn't even know God, and so the church has to really look at that differently than than maybe a Christian who um, has chose chosen divorce. So I think we need to be be careful when we look at that as well. And so I would say. To me, those are, those are the uh, allowances. Sexual sin, it's permitted, especially if the spouse is unrepentant. And those who walk away from the marriage and refuse, refuse to be a part of the marriage after a time of, of pursuing them and seeking them, and that marriage uh, eventually, after the, after, with help from the church, is determined that that person is free from that marriage. So what about those who are here? And you would say, Brother Adam, I've, I'm divorced. Or I've been divorced. And uh, there were no biblical grounds. Um, and, I sh- and I know you struggle with that. I know you hurt over that. And the instruction I would give to you about that is repent to God. And that's probably something you've already done. If you hurt over your divorce, you, I know you've spent time talking to God about that. Uh, but if you haven't, repent to God. Um, repent to your former spouse. If there's something that left that you need to say, 
um, some sin that you committed that you never asked them forgiveness for, then repent to your spouse over those things. And lastly, trust in the gospel. Trust in the gospel. Trust in what Christ did on the cross to cover that sin. Here's how Martin Lloyd-Jones, at the close of his sermon on these texts, he said this, he said, Have you nothing to say about others? What he means there is is those who, who are in the church that have not Uh, do not have biblical grounds for the divorces that have happened in their life. It says, Have you nothing to say about others? Asked someone. All I would say about them is this, and I say it carefully and advisedly and almost in fear, lest I give even a semblance of a suggestion that I'm saying anything that may encourage anyone to sin. But on the basis of the Gospel... And in the interest of truth, I am compelled to say this. Even adultery is not the unforgivable sin. It is a terrible sin. But God forbid that there, would be, that there should be anyone who feels that he or she has sinned himself or herself outside the love of God or outside of his kingdom because of adultery. No, if you truly repent and realize the enormity of your sin and cast yourself upon the boundless love and mercy and grace of God, you can be forgiven and I assure you of pardon. I hear the words uh, and hear the words of our blessed Lord. Go and sin no more. Aren't you thankful for the Gospel? Aren't you thankful for the the gravest sins? That if there is repentance, there is pardon and grace from our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to, to please stand as our musicians come. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe divorce has come into your mind time and time again. Maybe this morning you need to just take that off the table and focus on the ideal. And that is holding fast to the spouse that God's given you and to be one with them. And maybe you have struggled in marriage in your past and and your divorce maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to talk to God about the mistakes of your past. Please just respond however God has spoken to you this morning as we sing. Dear Heavenly Father, God, God, I pray that we will be a church that values marriage. God, that we will fight hard to preserve every every marriage of our church. God, I pray for marriages that are struggling. God, I pray that you will come in and begin to heal. God, that you would 
help them begin to seek your ideal. And God, what you ask us to seek, you will give if we're faithful. God, I pray for anyone here, not just people that have been through a divorce, but all sinners. God, I thank you for your grace. And if there would be a sinner here, God, who's never repented of of that sin or any sin, God, I pray that they would come to you so that they would know your forgiveness this morning. God, move in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.